before you now as your humble servants, your worshipers, Lord. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth today. Lord, help us to do that. We want to study your word and walk away from this place changed, a bit more chiseled into the image of Jesus than when we came. Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, we just uh, want, uh, again, just want to give you all praise and glory and honor today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For many weeks, our churches have been unable to have physical gatherings. But by God's mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ continues. The Southern Baptist Convention continues. For 175 years, we have pressed forward together through wars, disasters, plagues, economic downturns, and political upheavals. Our effort of proclaiming Christ around the world has never stopped. Your support, your prayers, your gifts, all of us working together 
as the body of Christ have kept our missionaries on the field over the decades and keeps them there now. God is at work around the world in the most amazing ways, and He is using you, your family, and your church to help your missionaries, our missionaries, as they move forward with the gospel. The Derbyshires partner with churches in the United States to lead mobile clinics all over Thailand, using medicine as a means to share the gospel with those who have no other access. Christ is proclaimed, disciples are made, and churches are planted. In Kenya, IMB missionary Kristen Lowry believes the very best place for a child is in a family. That is why she is working alongside National Kenyan Partners to rescue boys living on the streets, restore their lives, provide shelter, a trade, physical and spiritual nourishment, and reunite them with their families. The Worthy family has recognized the importance of investing in relationships and in Italian culture which is why they have planted their lives in Italy for the past 17 years. College students have dropped the term hard places from their vocabulary and are responding to go anywhere in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. We treasure Jesus and his gospel above all. But let us remember, we are not called to hoard the gospel but to herald it far and wide. We are not called to stockpile the gospel, but to send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live. to Southern Baptist Life. IMB is International Mission Board. Uh, Southern Baptist churches support thousands of international missionaries around the world. We met two just last week, Kyle and Katie Brousseau. Um, and then um, we, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the term Lottie Moon, uh, she is the missionary that is namesake of this offering uh, where, as you just saw, every penny goes to support the missionaries. Now, when we give... Um, of our tithes and offerings, uh, a certain amount goes to missionaries, but there's administrative costs that gets, uh, you know, in that as well. Lottie Moon, no administrative costs, just all helps the missionaries. The reason we came to a uh, 59, we've done this a couple years now, 59,000 number, is because uh, that supports one missionary. And we, we felt as a church, we can at least support a missionary. Amen? And so let's commit to, to the Lord to uh, reach this goal this year. And, and you ask the Lord how uh, you should be involved in this, okay? Um, if you would uh, please take this connection card, fill that out. Maybe you're a first or second time guest with our church. We'd love to know who you are. Uh, maybe you've been with us many, many years. There's an opportunity to share a prayer request. And so you please fill that out and put that in the offering plate at the end of the service, okay? Um, 
the, uh, the next two or three things that's going to happen in the worship service, we'll, we'll continue with uh, some time of congregational singing and worship, and then we've got a special group coming to share uh, O Holy Night with us, followed by the second installment of our uh, Advent candle reading, and, and the readers today for the second service are Ben and Cecile Nafis, and uh, they've been with us a couple of years now. Ben actually just recently uh, took the position of uh, teaching our college and young adults uh, Sunday school class, and so we're thrilled to have them reading for us today and helping in this Advent. So let's, let's worship uh, with this great song, uh, Glory in the Highest. Light 
heavenly hosts proclaim your birth. Glory to God and peace be on the earth. Your name is near, Emmanuel. God with us here, God pleased with us to dwell.
Last week, the first red candle, the candle of prophecy, was lit. Today, we light the second red candle, the candle of deity. The witness of the New Testament is that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament promised that he would come, and the New Testament testifies that he came. Thus, at the very outset of his gospel, John stated his thesis, that the word is the eternal God of the ages who came in human flesh. John 1.1 affirms that Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, and consubstantial with the Father. Jesus pre-existed with the Father in eternity past. May this truth drive us to our knees in worship as we embrace Peter's emphatic testimony as our own. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John 1, 1, 14 through 18, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. He cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together in worship, to gather together and proclaim your name and who you are and what you have done. God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we can be reconciled to you because we rejected that relationship with you so many times in our lives. And yet you have given us the opportunity to be reconciled to you and to trust in you, to serve you, and to love you. God, you loved us first. Help us to learn what that love is like and help us to surrender to that amazing love and let that flow through each one of us to each other. God, I pray for the body of Christ and every person who is here. God, I pray that you give each one of us the zeal and the passion to serve you and to seek after you with all of our hearts, minds, and soul. God, you are the creator and you are the savior. 
Thank you, God, for all that you've done. Help us during this Christmas season to know what this is really about and to see the amazing gift that you've given to us and to accept it and let that sink deep into our hearts, minds, and soul. We love you, God, with all of our heart. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's meditate on those John 1-1 words. You were the word in the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. You're hidden glory and creation, now revealed in you our Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. The name of What a powerful name it is, the name of...
I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and let's look together in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Today we're going to talk about Christ's or Christmas from Christ's perspective. You may say His coming from His own perspective and then subtitled The Sacrifice of Jesus and the Will of God. Last week we talked about Uh, the prophecy candle, and we talked about Hebrews 9 this week, this text that we will read today, certainly has the ring of the deity of Christ all over it, and we pray that God will speak to our hearts through the reading of the Word and the proclamation of the Bible and what the Word of God says. Chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow... Of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, when, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible, summation statement, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, we call that Christmas, right? He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body... You have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The treatments that you and I get when we go to the doctor and receive them are not reminders that we are getting better, but that we are sick. It's a perpetual reminder, is it not? They say that there's a vaccine on the way for COVID-19. I'll I'll take it. I'm good with it. Here's the deal. 
what's the chance that I never have to have it again? Is it going to be like the flu virus? Uh, or, or are you going to get the flu shot? Which I, get, I got one of those this year. I was told it was a four-strander. Four-strand. The, the kinds that were out there. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty good. I haven't gotten the flu yet. But regardless of COVID-19 and the vaccine we get, and if it's prolonged and it helps me for 10 years, here's what I do know. There are other sicknesses out there and diseases that I'm going to get. And I'll have to go back to the doctor again. And so will you. We got the news of my dad's diagnosis in 2001, and it was not good. He has a deep-seated, the, the uh, neurosurgeon said he has a deep-seated glioblastoma multiform in the left lobe. And my dad said, well, what are we going to do, take it out? And he says, there's no magic wand, there's no treatment, we can't take it out, it's too deep-seated, uh, this is going to take your life. Now, what we wanted to hear was this. There is a treatment, you'll only have to take it once, and once you take it, you'll never have to come back. Well, do you realize that in the Old Covenant, every year on the Day of Atonement, sacrifices were made, but then they had to come back the next year. And in between those times, we know there were burnt offerings and other sacrifices that you had to make. And the repeated nature of those sacrifices was not a reminder of forgiveness, but of sin. The thing that they needed to hear and the thing that they wanted to hear after the sacrifice was made was the pronouncement, you don't have to come back next year. I want you to know that the power and the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice in this text is seen in this. It never needs to be repeated. Aren't you thankful? What a wonderful understanding of Christmas. Christmas from Christ's perspective. We all have our view of what Christmas is, what we like, this kind of thing. But have you ever stopped long enough, pumped the brakes to say, what did Jesus think about his coming before he ever came into this world? Well, that's what you're seeing in Hebrews chapter 10. So the glory is that through the death of Jesus, our sin has been removed once for all. And we don't need to go back to a tabernacle or a temple or even to the hill of Calvary. Not for the payment of your sin again. Because it's been accomplished in full. So Jesus is our great high priest. And he has accomplished our redemption once for all. And he actually put away sin once for all. And for that, ladies and gentlemen, he is worthy of our praise. Now, when you get to Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, you are reading the culmination of the author's discussion of Jesus Christ as the high priest. So really, chapter 10, 1 through 18 is a reiteration of what the writer has already told us a number of times. And so he's going to reiterate this. The imperfection of the old and the perfection of the new. But perhaps more than any place in the entire word of God, especially in the book of Hebrews, this passage clearly gives us the Christian gospel, does it not? And therefore, it... Causes, it calls upon all of us to think clearly about what we call Christmas and its implications for us today. Now, we have to say that forgiveness is a crown jewel of redemption. We've learned that out of Hebrews, right? Uh, we specifically would look at that and say, for my own personal life, forgiveness has to be the crown jewel. Because without the forgiveness of sins, there's no salvation. We get that, right? Right? Well, in this particular text, 
The message of forgiveness is as follows. We have a problem with sin. Second, the problem of sin has been dealt with in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And third, Christ's work is decisive. It is the final reckoning with sin by which people are in the new covenant and made perfect forever. So the writer wants to enforce what he's already said. And please think about how revolutionary this is. If you were a Hebrew and you came to faith in Christ somewhere around between 50 and 60 AD when this book was written. And you had gone back year after year after year. And in between those years you've made sacrifice after sacrifice. Why? To atone for sin. But just think about how revolutionary it would be for you to be told by the Lord or by a preacher or by Paul or by Peter or anybody else that that sacrifice, all those sacrifices in the past could never atone for sin. But once Jesus went to Calvary and died to pay that penalty, it is never to be repeated again and is completed. Think about how revolutionary that would have been for a Hebrew that was his whole life was surrounding a tabernacle or a temple or a sacrifice. So what God was always after wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. Our God was after a perfect, obedient heart. And there was only one of those that ever lived. And it was the Son of God. And so he says, behold, you were not pleased with the sacrifices of calves and goats. Behold, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. So today, let's discuss... Christmas from Christ's perspective and of course those two huge thematic structural things you have to think about is the sacrifice of Jesus and the will of God. So first, the law, write this down, or if you don't have anything to write with, use a sticky note metaphorically and stick it in the thinking side of your brain, all right? The law cannot make us perfect. Is that not what he's laboring to teach you in verses 1 through 4? It deals with the inability of the law. The inability is that it could not make us perfect. Now let's pump the brakes and ask the question. What does it mean to be perfected? Uh, It means I don't have any flaws. Y'all believe that? Just ask my boss. Her name is Natalie. Well, I actually have two bosses nowadays. My mother-in-law is the second one, right? (laughs) So just ask them, yes, I have flaws. So it's not the lack of flaws, it's rather the state of right relationship with God in which the worshipers are once for all cleansed from sin so that you have access unhindered to God and you've been delivered from a nagging sense of guilt, which is reiterated in this particular text. So here's the deal, the law as a shadow of good things to come was not the substance. It was the shadow, and I love to see that phrase, good things. All that Jesus did for us, that's good things. It's wonderful, right? So in other words, the law in and of itself was incomplete. The law prefigured something, but it wasn't the something. The law represented something, but it wasn't the something. The law was like the finger pointing. The law, again, it was pointing to who? Christ. The Jews, however, were enamored with the finger, but they needed to look at what the finger was pointing to. And so what you have in Hebrews 10 is what the law was always pointing to. So you wanted to scream to them and say, don't stare at the finger, but look at what the finger is pointing to. So the law anticipated something which is called good things. The good thing 
is the reality of the gospel given to us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the reality of Christ the Lord. He's the source of the shadow. And when you see a shadow, you know that there has to be a substance behind the shadow. And the substance is the king, the child born, the son given. The substance is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the something behind the shadow of the law is Christ Jesus the Lord. So Christ comes into this world. He inaugurates a new covenant. Listen, Hebrews teaches this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the better mediator. He, is, he establishes a better covenant. It is based upon better promises. And it is done by a once-for-all sacrifice that never needs to be repeated again. Hey, folks, that's good things. That's the good things of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Now, the writer is going to labor to prove that to you, that the law has an inability to perfect you. So he wants to prove it to us. So in that text, beginning kind of in verse 2, is this proof. Number one, sacrifices could not perfect the worshipers. Y'all see that? It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Perfect. They can't. So... Sacrifices could not perfect the worshipers. So the sacrifices incessantly offered up year after year cannot perfect the worshiper. How many times in the book of Hebrews does he tell us this? Many times. However, let me read just a few. Chapter 7, verse 11. Just flip back a couple of pages. I hear about five Bibles turning. That's good. The rest of you have Hebrews memorized in your mind, right? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 11, listen. Now if perfection, there's that word, not the absence of flaws, but a right standing with God. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron, which was the Levitical priesthood, but we needed one after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed Until the time of reformation. In other words, the law could not bring about the goal of that covenant. Under all those stipulations, under those arrangements, the goal which was to bring about forgiveness of sins and access to God, full acceptance before God, the law could never do. And by the way, it was never designed to do that. So, it could not perfect the worshipers. Note number two. He also argues from repetition. So repetition proves its inability. Let your eyes scan down the text and pick up verse 11. We didn't read this, but listen. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the mission would have been accomplished if it could have brought perfection. There would have been no need to come back every year. Incidentally, this probably proves that the writer wrote Hebrews before 70 AD. Why? Because in his mind, that temple's still standing. 
And he's writing this and saying, look over there at that temple where all those sacrifices are made. It's just a reminder that your sins cannot fully be forgiven and forgotten because you have to go back to that particular temple. So, if the worshiper, who was involved in worshiping that day in the act of God when they were making a sacrifice, it wasn't just the people. What about the priest? So, if the priest and the people would have actually experienced total cleansing from sin, they would have no longer had the conscience of sin. They would not have felt the remaining guilt of sin. There would have been no need to go back year after year after year because they would not have felt the need to go back. It would have been accomplished once for all. So we say it like this. Repetition conflicts with finality, right? If it's final, then why do you need to repeat it? An action that is final does not tolerate repetition. And an action must be repeated all the time. We call that inconclusive, right? In verse 3, he tells us that all that repetition actually served a purpose. And the Old Testament saints would have hoped that it said the repetition leads to one day you have one and you're done. But in the Old Testament law, it was not possible. But this is what the text says. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder, a reminder of sins. How often? Every year. So what did the sacrificial system actually remind us of? Not that we were well and cleansed. And, and fully right before God, but that we were actually still in sin. So, the purpose was simply to remind the worshiper of sin. It was a reminder of their sin before God, as, to, as opposed to bestowal of peace and confidence before God that we sense today if you're in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, can you imagine what the people thought often as the priest went in to make atonement for their sin? What if you had the luxury of living beside the high priest and his tent? Would you be fully confident in this guy who gets mad and kicks his dog? Or maybe sleight of hand talks ugly about his wife or treats somebody? And you're thinking, this dude is about to go in before God to represent me. Would it, don't you think you live kind of on shaky ground? You, to know full well that he's about to go in? And make atonement for sin? I'd be saying, oh, I sure hope this guy's clean. Hope he's got all his ducks in a row. Hope he's done what God asked to do in the law. Because he's going to not only make... Remember, he had to make atonement for his own sin before he actually made atonement for the people's sin. So think about this before the Lord. Now, imagine if you have a huge prison sentence. You committed a crime... And you were sentenced, and your sentence was this. You have 100 consecutive 100-year sentences. Every year, you do get to go before the parole board. And let's say that you have a very tender-hearted parole board. And they're so soft-hearted that they're going to parole you. But their guidelines of parole say this. They can only actually parole you for one sentence every year. Okay, I got another 100-year sentence taken off my sentence. Well, let's do the math at this point. Are you all ready? You will still be in prison, and you'll still have to come back the next year. And even though you get a slip of paper to remove that sentence for the crimes of the sentence, there is still a reminder, a reminder that you have sinned and you've committed a crime. Now, imagine the radical difference it would make if the parole board walked in and said, you're forgiven of all of your crimes for all time. And we've actually lumped all of them together. And someone else 
actually paid the penalty and you are absolutely and thoroughly free. Do y'all know that's the glory of the new covenant? That is the glory of the new covenant. I will remember your sins no more. Do y'all know that's written in Hebrews chapter 10? We didn't go far enough, but we will in a few moments. So the day of atonement, in light of that analogy, was simply one more parole day without a pardon. Are y'all getting this? That's what the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant was. But Christ comes and he pays for the crimes, forgives my sins, and says, why are you even here again? Right? Because it's paid in full. Now, some of you are here thinking, Pastor, I'm not that bad. Why does somebody have to pay for my sins? I'm really not that bad. Okay, if you're not, let's say, for instance, that I projected up on this string, your thought on this screen, your thought processes for the last hour. Anybody want that? Every thought you've had in the last hour. What about the for some of you, it's probably the last three minutes. What if I projected up on the screen and we could see your thought life? What about the secret sins that no one knows about? Have I said enough to let you know you're guilty? Are y'all listening? You better respond or I'm going to preach it all over. Think about this for a moment. Yes, in reality, according to the word of God and what it says about our condition, which you can take it to the bank, is your condition. The fact of the matter is, you are worse than you really realize. In relation to our condition. God says, I will remember your sins no more. That's good news for me. Because I know what my thought life like. I know what my thoughts are at times. And so do you. Folks, think about how awesome it is to know that your sins are remembered no more. That's the finality of what Christ did for us. Now, in verse 4, he just says it bluntly, doesn't he? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's categorically. He just shoots straight, right? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All through the Old Testament. What do we learn from the OT? If we condense it all out. Man is not good. We're sinners. But God is absolutely holy and absolutely righteous. You learned this through Leviticus in your devotional reading. Right? We read through and we learn straight up. That's what Leviticus is about. God is holy and we are not. Here are these ceremonial laws so that you can, on God's, uh, God writes the, the way he has to be approached, correct? You're going to do it this way ceremonially or you cannot approach me. Now I've got news for you. Again, remember this. There's the sinfulness. There is the sinfulness of sin. There is our condition before our God. That's given to us in the Old Testament. We see the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. But check this out. You cannot come to him any way you want to. He actually has laid down the parameters of how he can be approached. And it can't happen without atonement. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, he's God. He's told us the only way he can be approached. And maybe that makes you squeamish to think about blood. But folks, without the shedding of blood... Without that perfect sacrifice on the tree of Calvary, there is no access to God. Period. For mankind. So, ultimately that old covenant arrangement pointed to the coming of Christ. The old covenant was not just an illusion to give us a false hope. It was actually a glorious shadow that anticipated the real hope. So, one of these days, 
the remnant believe and were taught that a deliverer will come. Thus Isaiah 9, a child given, a child born, son given. Next Sunday night, we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not designed to be a perpetual reminder of sin. It's to be a perpetual reminder of the grace of God. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed our sins away. The grace and mercy of God actually invited you to be a part of the family of God. It is literally like someone did receive that once for all present time healing of cancer. And they didn't have to go back anymore. Well, if you go back to the doctor and you're healed from cancer, when you go back, it's not a perpetual reminder of the fact that you had cancer. It ought to be a perpetual reminder that you're healed. And thus, when you have the Lord's Supper, the people of God ought to be joyful. Should it be reverent? You better believe it. But should it be joyful? Yes, because our sins have been forgiven. It doesn't remind us of our wretchedness, but of the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to us. The law could never make you perfect. Praise God Jesus came, right? And that's what the pickup is in verse 5. Let's look at it. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of God. And that's why you're saved today. That's why all the Old Testament saints, those in the remnant, were saved. Hebrews 9 will teach us that those in the Old Testament were saved just like you are. They were just saved anticipating the coming hope. You're saved looking back on the fact that he's already delivered you. Okay? So Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of God. When he comes into the world, consequently when Christ came into the world. Does this excite y'all? It does me. Is this not staggering? Do you know that you're looking at a divine dialogue between the Father and the Son before he ever came down to this earth? How many babies do you know could speak intelligently at the time of their birth? Needless to say... Eons and eons of years before that. There's never been a time when God the Son did not exist. And yet, here he is in a conversation. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, who's he talking to? I mean, this is taking us outside of time and inside the mind of God. It gives us a divine dialogue between the Father and the Son. So the Godhead, you think they were aware of our predicament that's expounded in verses 1 through 4? Do you think the Son of God knew what was going on? When he came into this world, well, the text says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Do you think they didn't know the condition of mankind? Absolutely. So basically, we're confronted with the problem of the imperfection of the law and the sacrificial system. There was this imperfect cleansing, imperfect conscience, and a memorialized imperfection that existed for all those years. The Old Testament, Old Covenant could simply not make us perfect. And those who draw near to God in worship. It was good as far as it went, but it was frustratingly inadequate. And then the Son of God has something to say. Aren't you thankful? That's Christmas. It is in the strictest sense of the world, word. And here's what Jesus had to say. Sacrifices and offerings have not, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Three things underneath. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of God. Number one, Jesus saw his coming as a fulfillment of the word of God. Do y'all know where that parentheses bracket off text comes from? Psalm chapter 40. So Jesus actually saw his coming from his perspective at Christmas into this world 
based upon the Word of God. He saw His coming as a fulfillment of the Word of God. In other words, this is what the Word of God said about me, and here I am. I'm coming in the volume of the book it is written of me. Folks, I hope you have confidence in God's Word. As a matter of fact, I don't have confidence in anything else. But I do have confidence in God's Word. Everybody tells us today to believe the science. I'm telling you to believe the Bible. I'm telling you, folks, hear it from the pastor. Hear it from the preacher. Believe the Word of God. Don't just believe it. Live it. G. Campbell Morgan once said, you only believe that part of the Bible which you obey. Now look, folks, the reason I bring that up is that there is no Christ that is not the Christ of the Bible. You don't get an Oprah Jesus. The only Jesus that exists is the Jesus of this book. Are y'all listening? Do you understand how important the word is? How many times does Jesus Christ quote the Old Testament? How many? It's unbelievable. You understand he is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. And so, if the Old Testament got it wrong about Jesus, then everything's wrong about Christ. And I hope you understand that that's why Christians are not ashamed of the gospel, because we're going to stand here and tell you, we don't only believe personally that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We say that because the Bible says it. And so we're, we're leaning on the scripture. We're leaning on, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. So Jesus came in fulfillment to the Word of God, in the Word of God. Psalm 40, verse 6, literally reads this. Check this out, y'all listening? Ears you have dug for me. D-U-G. Ears you have dug for me. But the Greek paraphrase of it is that Christ, or that Christ and the author put forward in Hebrews is a body you have prepared for me. In other words... The Greek translator regarded the creation of ears as part of the fashioning of the body. Just to stop and take a deep breath and think God has a physical ear when he is only spirit is enough to blow my mind. But that's what Jesus Christ did in Bethlehem. Right? Put on human flesh. Ears were dug out for him. A body was prepared. Why? Because he must die. That's why he had a human body like we do. So whatever your explanation is, Christ said in essence, divine dialogue. My father, the Old Testament sacrifices have proven unsatisfactory. So you have prepared for me a body that I might be a pleasing sacrifice. Hallelujah for the gospel. The phrase is actually in the perfect tense. In the volume of the book, it stands written of me. How much confidence should we have in the word of God? He's looking at his entrance into this world as a very man. In his body, he will actually come and blot out death by his own death. Hallelujah. What a gospel we have. So Jesus saw his coming as the fulfillment of the word of God. But secondly, Jesus saw his coming in commitment to the will of God. To do your will, O God. What did the enemy say? (laughs) Not God's will, but mine. That started in heaven, right? So here... Jesus is coming in obedience to the will of God. Now, he states this with a joyous resolve. Do you enjoy obeying God? Or or do you do it grudgingly? Well, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some. Man, got to go to church. 
Well, it says, it's a command, it's an imperative command. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as a matter of some, as much the more you see the day approaching. So in other words, if you believe Jesus is coming back, you ought to go to church. So we like Baptists say, got to go to church again. Or do you see church life in a joyous refrain? Much like Christ did so in his obedience to the Father. And then add to this the word lo, it means that something special is about to take place. Something solemn and surprising is about to be revealed. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the ear of a shepherd's sheep the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Man, if the Lord can do some kind of uh, rewind so we can see through time and, and, and look at things, I want to see that. Why? Because the Bible says the very angels... Just like they rejoiced when God created the world. What a seraphic, antiphonal, magnificent thing to see angels swarming in the atmosphere, praising God. Even angels probably never thought, they never thought about God of eternity being born as a baby. Staggering in its range, is it not? Low in the volume of the book. In other words, something staggering, something amazing is about to take place. Was that not true with the angels? Was that not true with the shepherds viewing it to all men? And then he says, I come. You do realize that the father was not up there saying, you got to do this, son, no matter whether you want to do it or not. Why did he come? Because he wanted to. He voluntarily, volitionally obeyed his father. He never acted independently of his father. What is the application for us today? I would hope that Jesus' joyous resolve to be obediently obeying his father would be what we would want to do. So I would say it this way. I think that the essence of, of the true sacrifice and worship that God desires is obedience. In the Old Testament, he tells Saul, sacrifices and offerings, I was not pleased. What I want from you is obedience. Right? I want obedience from you. Is there any application for us today, right now, in the month of December, in 2020. Is there any application? Jesus does what God the Father desired for every worshiper today. God did not, nor does he, want animal sacrifices. What he wants then, what he wanted then, and still wants today, is obedience. Obedience to the Lord. That's the only acceptable sacrifice to God. Everything else in the Christian life is mere ashes. If you're not living in conscious understanding of your need... To obey God. How are we doing? Folks, do you understand the magnitude? I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do your will, O God. How many of us in here could say right now, God, no matter what happens, come hell or high water, I'm going to obey you. How many of us can say that? How many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand. All right, how many of you obey God? Raise your hand. Oh, I lost... Nine, I lost 90% of hands just that fast. Well, Jesus did say, if you love me, three or four of you said that because you're scared to. You know that when you actually say it, you've got to actually think about it. You know, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say the next word. I thought it was all about my affections. I didn't think it had anything to do with thinking about God. No, folks, you are to love God with your mind. You're to think. And so thus, when you begin to think about what the Word of God says, then you actually begin to love Him more when we think about who our God is. 
So, obedience. Perhaps there's some kind of kindness that you're called by God to perform, but you've been unwilling to do it. Perhaps there is a confession that you need to make, and you haven't obeyed God. How about a gift that God is calling you to give? How about a commitment that you're supposed to fulfill that you know full well God has called you to do it? How about a task to perform? I want to remind you that Jesus delighted in obeying his Father. Whose nature do we have? His nature. So should we not desire to obey the Lord? You know, that's called Lordship Salvation. And we, all, we always need to get into the neighborhood and stop by when we can say something about Lordship. You do understand that most people love to hear that my sins can be forgiven and I can be on my way to heaven. But very few people have read the follow part of Jesus. We want to get out of hell free card. But there's nothing said or lived out about following. Understand the gospel is to deny yourself, take up your cross. Does it end there? No. Follow, good indication of whether you belong to Jesus. Are you following him? Are you following him? And folks, that's the issue of obedience. Bulls and goats never said, I'm here to do your will. But Jesus Christ did. I give my life to save my people in submission of my Father's will. We ought to be thankful for that. That Jesus Christ obeyed the Father. And finally, he saw his coming as the settlement to the only way to God. You understand that there's no way to God unless the perfect son perfect, did not... The perfect son had to perfectly obey in order for us to be saved. So in other words, Jesus Christ saw his coming into this world from this perspective. He knew he was the only way to God. He's the only way to God. Is this something that we shouldn't... Do we need to stand on this today? Again, in the United States, people believe that there are parallel roads that all meet at the end. Something called pluralism. As long as you believe what you believe and you're sincere about it, all roads lead to heaven. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that only the perfect, obedient Lamb of God could perfectly, completely, thoroughly forgive us of our sins and bring us to God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. What does that mean? That means Jesus believes that he is the only way to God. He's the only way of which we can be saved. So only a perfect man could absorb the penalty of our sin. And Jesus did that. The perfect son came into this world as a perfect man. Took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary having not sinned. And by virtue of his resurrection he is vindicated as the great high priest. He is seated at the right hand of his father. And he is the only one that can procure your eternal salvation. Only Jesus. Listen to how the text reads. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Huh. Does that lead your heart to want to worship? One sacrifice for all time? Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool. Listen to verse 14. You think you can lose your salvation? Anybody in here? Check out verse 14. For by a single offering he has past perfect, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah! Aren't you thankful that he perfected for all time means nothing less than all time? That's why eternal salvation is nothing less than eternal salvation. It seems pretty obvious to me, but people get hung up on this. Look, he has perfected you. In other words, what he did in the past carries through to 
That's what a past perfect, all the way through time, he has done that for us. Perfected for all time. Look, folks, he's the only settlement between you and God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And look on down. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. No more. Only settlement. In verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Folks, there, are, there is no other offering for sin. It's been, car- it's been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. In conclusion, do you know this morning, out of personal experience, the peace of trusting the one who perfectly did the Father's will by offering himself as our substitute, perfect sacrifice? Do you know this? Do you know full well, uh, personally, the peace of trusting Jesus only as your Savior? You realize there is in all of us a killer that is worse than cancer. And it's sin. The glorious news of the gospel is this. There is a once for all remedy for your fatal disease and it is through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's something we ought to praise God for. There is a remedy. It is the person and work is the only remedy, right? It's the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The remedy is perfect. And here's the good news. It cleanses you forever. And you don't have to go back again. No repetition. Y'all remember those lessons? Perfected the worshiper for all time. You realize that when the Father looks at you as a Christian, he sees the Son of God and his perfect obedience. Do you realize that his perfect obedience becomes your perfect obedience? That's the only way anybody could ever be saved. The perfect obedience of the Son of God becomes your perfect obedience. That's what it means. That's what this text is talking about. Please go to the one who took away your sin and will save you forever. Now, you will never have to go back to the clinic again, right? Not when you trust Christ. In him alone is our salvation. Now, growing up, I can remember my mom and dad and others reminding me that I could do anything I put my mind to. Y'all remember those talks? Yep, yep, we had those talks. Now, that statement, of course, has to do with ethical values, i.e., get under the grind and have some determination and perseverance and confidence and preparation and willingness. Those all are sweat-stained values that have marked my life. And I have to tell you, I'm grateful for it. I'm glad my mom and dad just said, just sit there all your life. You'll do good. I mean, I'm glad that they said these things to me. And if you're willing to work hard for your dreams, you can accomplish them. They were right. Nevertheless, life has a hard edge to it. Anybody been on the hard edge of life? We are forced to face some limitations sooner or later. We fail sometimes repeatedly. As a matter of fact, some tasks and goals in life stay out of my reach. I will never, ever run a four-minute mile. Now, I ran one in five minutes and 20 seconds one time, and I was stoked about that. But my second and third mile wasn't that good at all, right? I made it, and good time for me. But the fact of the matter is, I will never be able to speak even three languages in my lifetime unless I really put the nose to the grind. What's that stuff now you can order on the Internet? I guess you can learn a language pretty fast. But you'll never learn all the languages of the world. There are limitations, And you and I don't even do well things that we're quite capable of doing. 
sometimes, correct? So growing up, we are wonderfully limited, but we're also wonderfully dependent. But we grow out of some of those limitations. But there is one limitation, friends. Y'all listening? There is one limitation that you will not outgrow. It's a limitation with which your parents had, your parents' parents had it, and all of your ancestors to time immemorial have not been able to handle by force or human will. And that limitation, of course, is sin. You have a limitation of sin that you can't personally do anything with by yourself. You can't. As a matter of fact, we simply cannot overturn, overcome sin, and we can't even turn back its consequences. Just go ahead and try. No one can except God. And aren't you thankful that the Son of God said, Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I come to do your will, O God. Sacrifices and offerings you were not pleased, but a body you have prepared for me. Aren't you thankful for that once for all sacrifice? You may be sitting here today, and you don't know what it's like to have a cleansed conscience. I want to remind you of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. No guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're just wallowing in guilty conscience. I'm telling you folks, the only one that can remove that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Some of you, uh, you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over again. But you've not received, you've not welcomed the gospel. My prayer is that today the Holy Spirit has moved upon your heart and mind and he's tendered your heart and you're receptive to the gospel and he's drawing you to him with the silver cords of grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this wonderful text of scripture. We are able to see Christmas from Christ's perspective and it was all about a sacrifice that you would make on Calvary. It was all about obedience to the Father's will. God help us. To apply that to our own lives and to live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a traditional invitation. If you feel led uh, to make a decision for Christ, come to the altar, whatever that may be. Uh, you uh, put your mask on, whatever you need to do to come down and pray or to meet with me. Uh, let the Lord God lead you in this time of invitation. Brother David's going to sing. Let's stand to our feet. Worthy, you are worthy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are worthy. Worthy, you are worthy, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Let's say his name, Jesus, you are Jesus. Jesus, you are Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are Jesus, Jesus, you are Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Well, amen. Just a reminder that tonight at 5.30 we have our quarterly meeting. We'll look at the new budget put it in for next year, vote next Sunday morning, right, without discussion. So come back tonight if you'd like to know what's going on in that regard. 5.30, we'll meet. If by chance we hear that things are freezing over, we don't know what's going to happen, okay? Um, I have no confidence in the weathermen. Oh, it's snowing, look.
It is. Look, right out that window. Some of you look. See? So, if, if we were to have a glazed over parking lot and walkways, we'll probably combine and do our meeting next Sunday night on the 20th. Okay? So, in other words, you look for a blast out text, Facebook, email, something. If, we'll hopefully do that by 4 o'clock if we're not coming back tonight. Okay? And for some of you who know you shouldn't be driving on these roads, don't drive on these roads. All right? God bless you. That, that, reminded, uh, that reminded me of staff meeting. Squirrel. No. God bless you all.